0: Our series, that uh, simple title for the series is just titled Appetites, Appetites, and taking time and really looking at what do we have an appetite for, what do we desire, what do we crave, what do we long for, what do we dream about, what do we think about, what are we trying to go after with our lives, and um, obviously for many it's a natural thing. I don't actually think it's a practice of the world to make sort of resolutions or look at your year in review. It's actually a biblical practice to see life as seasons. Um, God created the world in seasons. God designed the earth to rotate around the sun. He set time and space for us. And so we understand there's actually like this intrinsic human value to pausing and to considering the season that just ended and the season that is beginning. And so this is a practice we want to do as a church. And so typically in January, uh, we go through a more practical series and something that maybe uh, helps to equip us and challenge us to hopefully make some changes in our lives. Uh, The reality is um, there is so much that Jesus did through his work on the cross, so much that God has done that was completely beyond anything we could do for ourselves, amen? They did, uh, Jesus did an absolute miracle by covering our sin with his grace. We believe that salvation, it's a free gift that you are saved by grace through faith, not by works, So nobody can boast. There is this free gift. And today we came in and we worshiped and we got to worship with a fresh chance because of that free gift. But what we see Jesus do with all of his disciples is he invites them into salvation. And then he says, okay, now let's get to work. (laughs) There's some changes that need to happen. And these changes, these shifts, these adjustments, they're actually not to harm you, they're to bless you. What he's trying to do is help you to align with how God made you to be and say, hey, would you trust God, your creator, on how you are to live, how you are to go about your days, what your rhythms and practices and disciplines are supposed to look like? Would you trust your creator more than the world? And that's really it. And it's often depicted as the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness, which kingdom are we going to move by? Which kingdom are we going to live in? And sometimes uh, it's so easy and can be so tempting to fall into different small aspects. Maybe, maybe you've even been serving Jesus. You are faithful, but you realize, man, there's just some temptation. There's some draw to the, what appears to be sort of this easy way of the kingdom of darkness. It can appear easy. But one thing we teach regularly at Artisan is the kingdom of darkness always offers pleasure in the short term, but pain in the long term. And the kingdom of lights offer is typically a little bit of pain, a little bit of hardship in the short term, for an eternal pleasure with God. And saying, hey, I'm actually going to be, I'm going to see my life longer. I'm going I'm to live in light of eternity, and so I'm going to build my life that way. So this series is coming into an alignment with that. It's really even a part of the heartbeat of our name, Artisan Church. You'll see on the website, we've even got the tagline, A life of faith is not built carelessly, it's crafted intentionally. And there is some hard work that is required to actually bring about the goodness of God as you're here in the land of the living. It's effort. There's requirements from you. And so last week we talked about actually your spiritual appetite can be affected just like your physical appetite can. And we did a couple silly illustrations even talking about things like uh, coffee. The first time you had coffee, you were disgusted by it. I've never met a person who's like, my first sip of coffee, strong black coffee. I was like, mmm, delicious. Like nobody. Everyone's like, nah, nah." But then you sort of sip on it. You sort of work it into your diet, work it into your rhythm, and then you become addicted and then you think you love coffee. And I even, I actually believe this. I really do. I, I believe that coffee is gross. We all just got used to it. I really do. And I love coffee. But I actually believe if it was disgusting to all of us, then it must actually be gross. And so if we can develop a palate, and an appetite for something like coffee. And we can shift that very similarly. Our spiritual appetite can be developed by what we consume daily. And that was sort of the premise of the message last week, that what you consume daily will affect your appetites, both physically with food, but also spiritually. What am I taking in? And so today, I want to continue in that lane of thought and let's talk about that. So if, if hopefully we came to sort of an agreement that what we consume daily is important, that life is actually not built on the mountain peaks and the, and the bottoms of the valley. It's built on the journeys in between. It's all these middle days, these days that we often forget. And, and these days that sort of run together builds really who we are. Our daily habits, our small things, our small decisions have major consequences over time. And so if we do that and we believe that, I think it could be helpful to take some time this morning to really ask the question about what am I then consuming daily? If what I consume daily is this important, what does my daily rhythm currently look like? What am I taking in in my life? And we actually believe this, that that your physical body, while it is imperfect, and we know that just like Jesus, we're going to receive a perfect body— Um, Some of us may want it to be more dramatically different than it probably will be. We know that Jesus got a glorified body, and it took people a second to realize it was Jesus, but they did know he was human, though unfortunately. Like, he didn't sprout wings, right? He, he didn't all of a sudden just glow everywhere he walked. He had his glorified body. After he right, came back, after he rose from the dead, he presented himself to hundreds of people, and he kind of looked like Jesus. There was a little bit of like, wow, what does he look like? But we're going to get better bodies. But the reality is right now, God has placed you, your soul, your spirit into your body, whether you like it or not, and they are connected. They are connected. I think we actually do a disadvantage when we try to isolate those two aspects too much, where we're like, well, you know, it's my my body and my spirit. If I try to isolate them too much, actually what we can do is sort of have a really negative effect even on our spirit, on our soul, because of how we're treating the body, which is why scripture tells us your body, it's actually the temple of the living God. So you should take care of it as far as it depends on you. And there's a connection here. So we're going to look at sort of our lives. And, and I really believe this, that most things you're doing are affecting your spiritual walk, your life. And there's so many things that affect it. And what we consume daily are, is so vital. And so for many of us, we went into January. We started to set goals some sound more spiritual than others maybe. Maybe you've got some really spiritual sounding ones and you're like, I want to pray for an hour a day. You're like, whoa, that's a lot. And maybe you set a goal. Maybe you read, uh, set a Bible reading plan and you're like, I'm going to read the whole Bible in one, in one this year. Or maybe you set the goal of at least reading one verse a day or whatever it is. Some of you... Also, set some really physical goals. You're like, I want to be healthier. I want to meet these standards. I want to lose this much weight. Uh, Maybe you set some financial goals, and you know what you want to have in your savings at the end of the year. And I, I really do. I believe in goals, and for many of us, we set goals. But goals really are things that you intend and hope to produce or arrive at. And most go unmet because people... Struggle to find the steps to actually make it happen. It's not hard to like set these sort of dream goals. For example, I want you to think for a moment in your mind, just where you're sitting, and I want you to think about the most uh, maybe sort of exotic place in the world you'd love to travel to. Like what is it? Maybe it's a country, maybe it's a place, but you're like, uh, we're not talking about like Branson, Missouri here, okay? That's really... Really doable. And you can just drive there and go see a show. It would be great. But, like, what is the thing where you're like, well, yeah, 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 But if, like, money wasn't an object, time wasn't an object, like, where would you love to be right now? And all of you are picturing someplace warm because it's minus seven degrees outside. But, what, I mean, I wonder what it is. all of us could probably then describe our dream destination. Like, man, I would love to be there right now. One of my dream destinations is Iceland, Iceland. I have a dream destination of Iceland. Both Renee and I, we actually share this one, right? And you go, man, I really wanna go, I'd love to go. But what's interesting is every single year, we talk about Iceland, we wanna go to Iceland. For years, I actually had a friend who owned a guest house in Iceland and we could have stayed for free. All we had to do was make a plan and get there. He owned a 30-bedroom guest house on the island. And it's my dream destination. And every year he's like, come on, you gotta come. That seems like a pretty doable goal. And yet, because we did not prioritize the steps required to make it happen, we never went. And we have the same dream destination. We had a friend inviting us there. But because we never sat down and actually go, okay, but what are the steps to make sure we go to Iceland this summer and see some waterfalls and see some black sand and see the beauty of Iceland? See, the reality is it's very easy to come up with a dream destination. You might even have an invitation to go there. It's a lot more difficult, especially with little kids, to figure out what are the steps. I got a budget. I got to make a plan. There needs to be a strategy. We're not just going to accidentally wake up and find ourselves in Iceland. We have to work the plan. And in the same way, for many of you guys, you would do a really good job if asked to articulate your destinations where you'd like to arrive at in your life. You could say the, the, the health journey you'd love to b- get to. You, you could talk about where you'd love to be in your faith. You could talk about where you want your marriage to be. You could talk about, I mean, many of you could talk for days about the renovations you want to do at your house. Right, we got plans for our houses, baby, let me tell you. But how many of you know your plans are different than actually seeing the steps through? That wall's not gonna paint itself, people, okay? You gotta get up, you gotta go buy the stuff you got to put on those work clothes. It's the steps. So really, before we even talk about what we hope to produce in our life, which we can dive into later in this series, those big goals, instead, I wonder if we need to take a look and really look at what are we consuming and how do we adjust that? Like, What does that actually look like? How do I step it out to make those goals and those things I want to see God do in my life actually possible? And one of the challenges is that at times when we look at Scripture and, and we listen to sermons and, and we study the Word or we hear these moments, we can get really caught up in just waiting on God to do His part. I just, I want this miracle. I'm not going to make any changes, but God, I want you to do all the changing. I want you to sort of snap your fingers and just change me in an instant. And the reality of why we often want that is because God does do that sometimes. Has anybody else had that tension of watching somebody else have an addiction lifted in a moment? And you're like, why me? I, I can't break it yet. There's there's the why why is mine not lifting? The Apostle Paul talked about a thorn in his side, some type of issue or challenge or addiction, and there's been lots of speculation on what it is. He doesn't even state what it is, but it's this thing that continues to nag him and bother him and trouble him, and he's begging God, would you just remove it? And God doesn't. But that's the same guy who got like miraculously saved from prison, right? You see Paul and Silas worshiping, and their chains literally fall off, and the prison doors fling wide open, and they can just get free? Are you kidding me? Like, this guy saw miracle after miracle. This guy got, has seen death in the eye, stared death in the eye. He's experienced shipwrecks and abuse and persecution. He's seen God do all these miracles, and yet there was still something that miracle, a miraculous moment wouldn't come for. They're like, Ah! I wonder, does your theology have space for receiving a miracle in part of your life, but not another? Are you open to that? Because I believe once we start to realize that God's hand of providence looks different for every person, and we start to actually trust his goodness, we start to trust his plan, what we'll realize is he move here, but if he's not moving here, is there something I'm supposed to be doing I actually think that's the natural question. So if I'm getting a miracle here, thank God for that miracle. But if it's not happening over here just yet, it might be coming, it might be on its way. But in the meantime, if I'm waiting, God, I'm asking for a miracle, but is there anything I can do on the management side of my life that might actually help me grow, make me more like you? Even Jesus, can we we think back to the garden? And here's Jesus begging God to do a miracle and find another way to save his people. This is the son of God begging God for a miracle that didn't come. God, would you please take this cup of suffering from me? Please, please take it. And God goes, no, this one you got to do. This one, this one you got to do. We've seen all these miracles, but this one, I need you to walk it out. And maybe there's some things in your life this year that God's saying, "Hey, I, I yeah, I could do it, but oh, if you would take some steps." if you would make some adjustments, if you would learn some lessons, if you would let the work happen, oh man, you oh, it's going to be so good. What it's going to produce in your life and the lives of people around you. Actually, because really, if I just do that miracle, you're not going to learn that you have a temper problem. And I really want you to learn that you have a temper problem. And this lesson is going to help you adjust that. And then your whole family's going to be blessed because you're going to be less angry. So I need you to work the process through. I want you to work some of these steps through. And so we are a house that believes in the miraculous moves of the Holy Spirit. We've seen miraculous healings at this very altar. We've seen cancer lifted. We've seen incredible things happen. We've seen financial breakthrough. We've seen God show up time and time again. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen all kinds of things. And yet, we've also seen so many people have to put in some work, to put in some effort. For me, I believe this statement, that when we do our part, he is faithful to do his part. In most miracle stories, God gives the person a prerequisite to the miracle. Hey, I need you to do this, and then he shows up. A required faithful step, if you will. You see, the interesting part, God is faithful. He is always faithful. The question is not, is God faithful? The question is, are you faithful? Sometimes he's got to say, hey, hey, I know I'm faithful, but I got to see if you'll actually do it. (laughs) I want to see if you'll be faithful. That's what the question is. My faithfulness has never been in question, God's saying. But but, but yours? I don't know about you, but I've not been faithful to God every second of every day. (laughs) I've not been faithful to God consistently in my life. I've had a lot of ups and downs of my faithfulness and commitment to what he's called me to do, to the things he's placed on my life. But I've noticed that when I step out and I'm faithful to do my part, he has always proven that he is so faithful to do his. And every once in a while, he even steps in and does it in spite of me. (laughs) Thank God for that. And that's why management conversations are vital. Spiritual discipline conversations are vital. So we don't just believe that God is real, but we actually take steps towards accepting our adoption into sonship, our adoption as sons and daughters. You see, this word son, S O N, in the Greek, when connected to specific nouns, does not always just denote lineage or offspring, but it actually speaks to imitation. It was used often to describe if you were a son of something, you were like that thing. A really easy example is a couple of Jesus' disciples were known as the sons of thunder. (laughs) Like, that's epic. Like, you're sons of thunder? Like, what? And then they're also called the sons of Zebedee. But these are two different things. It doesn't mean that Zebedee was like thunder. It actually means that they were like thunder. They were sons of thunder. They were like thunder. So many scholars actually speculate that they actually had some anger issues. <laughs> that they were explosive and intense and loud and extreme and would snap. And so it's actually not that good of a thing because they were like thunder. They were like thunder. Thank God for examples in scripture that make me feel like it's okay to be human sometimes because here's disciples of Jesus. So for you to be a son of God, according to scripture, is that you are to actually imitate him. You are to be like him. You were adopted in and now we are to imitate him. Do people see God when they're around you? Do they experience Jesus when they're around you? Have you learned to imitate him? Ephesians chapter four, verse 22 through 25 tells us that you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires desires are a tricky thing they're very nuanced but deceitful desires are important to distinguish to say you know what this is this is deceitful this is from the enemy this is not from the lord this is not from scripture we have to be careful to just instantly entrust or trust our desires and our feelings but you're supposed to put off your old self, which was corrupted and it was driven by your deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This new self, this new person, we believe was created to be like God, to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Therefore, there's some work you need to put in. Therefore, you got to make some adjustments. Therefore, you need to start looking a little bit more like God this year. And if you look back on 2023 and you have a lot of mistakes, but you look a little bit more like God than you did in 2022, it was a good year. Can I remind you, if we're just taking steps in the right direction, like, oh, I, just, I didn't meet everything. I didn't accomplish all that I wanted to do. I still am dealing with some sin that I thought I would beat by now. Hey, did you take a step towards God? And you moved forward last year. Are we a little bit more like God? Have we put off more of our former way of life, that old self? Are we a little less corrupted by deceitful desires than God is doing something good in our life? So what we are to consume is that which makes us like God. If we are a son, if we are a daughter, we're to imitate him. We're trying to consume things that make us like him. And while the world may look at the outward, God is deeply committed to the inward. And the reality is there's only so much, again, we can control on the outward. We were given this body. Flaws, issues, problems, problems. Whatever things your physical body's going through, wherever you're at physically, there's something that God can do inward. And we understand this, like, you know, the difference between outside and inside. Like, how many of you know money can now buy you whatever physique you want? Like, you could pay a doctor to stitch abs on. Like, you can get fake abs. This is a real thing. A doc, I can buy abs, Right? If I really do, if that's, if that's what I want my money to do, I could get some abs. But how many of you know, stitching abs on <laughs> does not mean I have core strength. They're fake. They're not real. They might as well be painted on. I haven't done any work. I haven't done any effort. And it looks, why would I even want those? It's because if I was healthy and strong, I'd have them, Right? But it didn't actually do the work on the inside. It's fake. It's decorative. It's not real. The reality is we can, we can do all sorts of things to change the external, but it's a shortcut. And similarly, you cannot pay for character. You can't purchase character. Character is something that you have to develop Character is developed, not delivered. You can't just receive it. Actually, when Jesus gave you the free gift of salvation, character didn't come with it. That's why sometimes people accept Jesus and they're still a work in progress, people. And let's stop shaming them for that fact because we didn't get a free gift of character. The fact that we can't just get this free gift of character is the most frustrating thing about my life as a pastor and a parent. Gosh, I wish I could just deposit some character, right? Like here's character. I'm choosing character for you, right? But we can't buy it. It can't be delivered. This is only something that can be developed over time. And so also cut yourself some slack. It's going to take time. It's going to take steps. Can I tell you the best goals to set? I believe the most spiritual goals you can set are character goals. Because everyone around you is going to be blessed by the development of your character. <laughs> Everyone's going to see a little bit more Jesus. If you would develop your character. There's no shortcuts. And nobody can do it for you. So Paul, he actually writes extensively on this. This existential crisis of sin and character. And it's one we can all relate to if we are willing to admit our humanity and our flaws, if we're willing to admit it. And Romans chapter seven is this beautiful picture of this. It's a famous text where Paul just talks about the tension of what you want to do, what you ought to do and what you end up doing. And just to jog your memories, if you've heard it before or to introduce it, if it's fresh to you, he says this, for I do not do the good I want to do. Think about 2023. Was there ever a moment where you didn't do the good you wanted to do? You had great intentions. You had great hopes, great desires, but you didn't do it. But the evil I do not want to do, by the way, that, that could be a great list. What is the good you want to do and what's the evil you don't want to do? Define it. What's the evil you fall into and what's the good you desire to do? At least paint the picture. Paul understood the good he was trying to do. And he, was, he understood the evil he was trying to avoid. And yet, even in the midst of that understanding, the evil he did not want to do, he kept on doing. He says, so now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. This is such a helpful distinction, where all of a sudden you realize that just lifts shame a little bit. He's like, I know, I desire with, God has done a work in my life and I desire this good with my whole self. So when I come up a little short, I'm not gonna live under shame or condemnation. I'm gonna feel conviction I'm gonna get covered by grace and I'm gonna move back towards trying to do what the good that I'm called to do. You see, he actually says, if I've been able to make and distinguish the difference between the good I want to do, I've got my appetite right, is what he's saying. Realize that. He's saying, I've shifted my appetite. My appetite is for the good I ought to do, not the evil I don't want to do. He had done the work. He had consumed some things and yet still, with this appetite, there was times he was falling prey to it. So he says this, now if I do not do what, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. It's the flesh. It's this issue. I'm going to put the blame on sin. I'm going to put the blame on the devil. I'm going to put the blame where it needs to go. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Wow. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? All of a sudden it starts to sound really like, right, this is just despair. It's like, oh my gosh, what a wretched man I am. This battle of sin, this battle of, but here's where he understands the truth. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm delivered from this battle of sin because of the grace that I found in Jesus. When it was the Old Testament law, there was no way to just blame the sin. I had to blame me. But now that I'm covered by grace, now that I'm covered by Jesus, I get to say thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin, And here he breaks down and begins to create a distinction of exactly what we struggle with. This is the good I ought to do, and here's the sin I don't want to do. I need to identify these things. What am I trying to consume daily? What am I trying to stay away from? How do I get my appetite so that I always desire the good, not the evil? And understand that there is an actual battle of sin that's waging inside of every single one of you. And this tension. But I mean, you see, God, he gave us hope in Jesus, but he looks down. You know, sometimes again, thinking, well, God, can't you just do a miracle and take away all temptation, all test, all challenge, all problems? Can't you just make me perfect? And the reality is that there's no relationship in forced Perfection if he forces you to be perfect and makes it and snaps his finger for you, all of a sudden you don't learn, you don't grow, you don't desire him, you don't build a relationship, you don't connect with him. And he's saying, I want you to put in this work because if you would do it, we get to connect. If you'd put in this time, if you would work on consuming the daily bread of Jesus Christ, if you would focus on these things, we get to draw close, we get to get connected. And so as we look at our lives and we look at 2024— I'm really interested in how you see your life, right? Do we, do we see our lives as something that we have some sense of control over or does it feel like it's just spiraling out of control? I wonder where you're at. You don't need to answer that question, but I think it's important to begin, to begin to understand, where am I at? Is my life just, does it feel like it's spiraling out of control or do I feel like I have some sense of control? And there's definitely been moments for Renee and I where life just feels like it's out of control, where it feels like things are just so wild and crazy and, and we're, it's, it's, it's in a struggle moment. But we've had this illustration that we've started to develop within our marriage, and I'm just going to share it today because maybe it'll help you. We've started to look at different things, the pre-decisions that we make, as sort of a recipe for life. So the really easy illustration that we'll start with will actually be your calendar, Your calendar, for example. We've noticed that if we look at our schedule, if we look at what's coming up, if we look at what we've put on the calendar as a recipe and ingredients, if you take all of the ingredients of that calendar, what is the cake you're baking? Is it one of anxiety and stress and burnout? Or is it one of peace and health and balance, right? When you look at your calendar, what is the recipe You see, your schedule can be a recipe for burnout or breakthrough. Your schedule, it's a recipe. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that we're to look carefully then how you walk each step, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Your limited time, because the days are evil, we have limited time. How are you using your time? Look at your schedule. Let me tell you, if you're like, well, Pastor James, I don't really operate on a schedule, then you have chaos in your life. <laughs> That's a great place to start. Start scheduling some things out. Because time is something that we're called to invest, I believe. If we don't tell our time where it's going, everyone and everything will tell it for you. And a lot of things are going to end up on your calendar that drain you, hurt you, stress your family out, make you way too busy, make you running on fumes, Sometimes it's even just the pressures of the society we live in. Like if you're a parent, there's a pressure that your kids play at minimum like three sports. I'm just gonna be honest with you, we've told each kid one sport. And they're like I tell this to parents, they're like, oh, they're not gonna be a well balanced athlete. Don't you know statistics show that it's actually the multi-sport athletes that have the best chance of going pro. And if you do, I'm like, calm down. One sport. And plenty of other activities and social things and all the different stuff. But if for us, for, as for me and my family, one sport. Because it's a, it's, for us, we're looking at our calendar, we're going, if we just pack our whole year and there's no breathing room, there's no time. I mean, the greatest compliment for us is when our kids go, mom and dad, can we just spend the weekend at home? And we're like, yes, let's just stay at home. But the reality is, are we creating an atmosphere and a space at home where you don't have to be busy because you're not trying to avoid it? See, a lot of times our calendar starts to show us that we're trying to avoid some hard things in our life or avoiding or we're getting away or we're numbing things down. What is your schedule saying about your year? Your schedule is saying a lot about what you plan to consume this year. What are you prioritizing? Your schedule shows your priorities. In fact, I actually believe this. If um, we were to sit down in more of like a coaching environment and we were trying to meet your goals for the year, the first place I would start would be your schedule and we'd probably be able to see if those goals are even attainable based on your calendar. Your calendar says a lot more about you than you'd like to think. Like, we're all private about, like, I don't want anyone to see, like, what I listen to on Spotify. Like, some of you do your Spotify raps. Like, way more private than your Spotify raps. Your calendar says a lot about you. (laughs) It says a lot. Where's my time going? And even if we're at a place, just being honest, there's two polar opposites, right? Some of us, we're not scheduling enough. And our calendar's wide open. And we're not intentionally investing where we're supposed to be and then others we're at the burnout level because it's just way too busy it's way overcrowded how much of your calendar are you determining or does it feel like most of your calendar is just being determined by the crazy of life and there's a lot of things that society will tell you you have to do that i'm just gonna tell you you don't you don't you don't No is a great word. Oh, no is a great word. Maybe that's that's the number one goal for you this year. Learn how to say no. Learn how to say no. Time, your schedule can be a recipe for burnout or breakthrough. Another thing that's a recipe is that the treatment of your physical body is a recipe for hurt or health. So another goal, if you're trying to think about how do I consume the daily bread of God more, can I tell you that some of us the health journey needs to not be for vanity reasons, but it actually needs to be for energy, passion, vitality, excitement. That some of us, if we're just being really honest, it's hard to build up your spirit because your body just wants a nap. It's really hard to build up the spirit inside of you because you're like, I just, when I sit down calm with a book, I fall asleep on the couch, if we're being totally honest, because I'm drained, I'm worn out. And how many of you know, again, no matter how much we want to, we can't fully isolate our physical body and our spirit like we want to. They do at times affect each other. 1 Corinthians chapter nine tells us that we do not run our race of life like someone running aimlessly. We don't fight like a boxer just beating the air. No, we strike a blow to our body and we make it a slave so that after we preach to others, we will not be disqualified for the prize. That actually I am saying, body, I'm in charge. (laughs) Your desires, what you're telling me to do, I'm putting myself in charge. I would really strongly encourage you to do some, make some changes about what you consume daily that's gonna challenge your body physically. Weirdly, I mean, this sounds so lame and I've talked about it often, but I told this to my wife as I was reflecting on 2023 and one of the most important changes I made was playing hockey at least weekly. I tried for bi-weekly, I made it a lot of times, but I said for sure once a week, I'm gonna get out and exert myself on that level like just extreme, fast-paced, hard. And I've watched as how much it's affected my whole week, my mental state, my spiritual state, everything, because I needed a healthier physical outlet. I'm just going to be honest. I find lifting weights very boring. And no, CrossFit is not the answer. I've tried it, okay? Enough with that, okay? I've tried it. And so for me, I I got, but I need to be physical. So find what works for you. Stop going to TikTok or Instagram or Facebook to figure out what to do with your body because everyone says something different. Go figure out what'll actually work for you and make some adjustments because again, it's a recipe, right? If we don't care about our energy, if we don't care about that, it's gonna affect other parts of our lives. We need to get a little bit healthier in the ways that we can this year. We need to consume daily things that are gonna help us Get healthier, because really, gluttony applies to more than just food. Simply put, put, it's overconsumption. What unhealthy thing are you over-consuming, and can you make an adjustment on it? Can you make an adjustment on it? Another thing that's a recipe is your relationships are a recipe for character or chaos building. Your relationships are a recipe. So one of the things to really take stock of when you look at what am I consuming daily, who am I around daily? The people you're around the most is probably having one of the most dramatic effects on your life than you even realize. And I think this is one of those things that's challenging because you know there's always the man, well, I wanna love them and I wanna care for them and, and even though that, you know, they're, they're in a really bad place and so I gotta help them out and I gotta be there. I think really taking stock of who you're giving real access to within your life is a really valuable practice because I want iron to sharpen iron. I, I can't be around people that are just going to dull me all the time. I got to balance that out. I need to find people that are actually going to help me build my character. And part of that is like, man, do I, have I given permission to people to say what they need to say to me? To say, hey, I just saw some red flags, just letting you know giving you a warning sign here. I, I, I want to let you know. This is part of why we stress things like men's discipleship, tape, women's tables, tables, all the different opportunities for formation. It's because at the end of the day, we really believe it. <clears throat> the relationships that you have are a recipe. What's, what's the cake that you're baking? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is the keys come on up. says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning for there are some who are ignorant of God. And I say this to your shame. That's an intense letter. I don't think I want Paul to preach to me. I'm like, dude, like, I say this to your shame. Like, this is a not. Essentially, Paul was chalking up all the issues in the, the church in Corinth to them letting the wrong people in to be into the wrong places. That you are... Entertaining relationships that are leading you astray. That actually, and this comes after Paul was rebuking the church for listening to manipulative voices that were actually trying to argue that there was no resurrection of the dead. And it was this whole idea that started, it was actually, right, this heresy that had started growing within this church. Well, maybe there is no real resurrection of the dead. Maybe that's not happening. How many know there's all kinds of YouTube videos you can watch with all types of heresies, all types of things that can make us start to wonder and question and all these different things? And then the relationships that we have well, I don't agree with what they're saying. I just listen to it all the time. It's getting in you, it's affecting you. Well, I don't always join in, I'm just there. It's affecting you. That's not helping bring in peace. It's bringing chaos into your life. It's hard to adjust your consumption from the good you, or from the evil you don't wanna to do to the good you ought to do. It's really hard to adjust your daily consumption when you are around people who are pushing the evil you don't want to do on you. Well, how do I know, Pastor Sam, if I should be spending that much time with them? are they pushing you towards the evil you don't want to do or are they pushing you towards the good you ought to do? That's, that's your filter. The more I spend time with you, which one am I? One of the reasons I love Pastor Philip so much and we've become really good friends over the last year is I feel like when I'm around Philip, it's always a push towards the good I ought to do. So guess what? He gets time. Right? So he gets time. He's not pushing me to the evil I don't want to do. He's not feeding the sinful part of me. He's feeding the spiritual part of me. We want to do that for each other as we're on staff together and doing life together. I've got friends in this room that you feed the good. You don't feed the sin. Your relationships are a recipe. Because it's a lot harder to change the consumption when the thing you're trying to avoid is right in front of you all the time. It's hard. I could keep going. I could go through so many parts of life that are recipes. But I think you could do the rest of the work. What's the recipe? What are the ingredients? What are the steps? You've got the destination. Amazing. Now figure out the steps to get there. Put in some of that hard work. Don't stop believing for that miracle, but be so willing to do some management, to build some disciplines into your life. Next week, we're going to... uh, We're going to talk about fasting a little bit, and uh, we're going to go into a fast period as a church, and I want you to start this week to challenge what you need to fast. I'm going to tell you the easiest thing. Go to prayer tomorrow, but say, God, what are the things that I need to cut that seem to draw me towards the evil I don't want to do? Fast that. Fast the thing that seems to be sort of a gateway to evil for you. Fast the thing that maybe it's not pure evil itself, but it leads towards evil. Fast the thing. Food fasts are so important because it reminds you that you can make your body a slave. (laughs) You can say, I'm in charge. You submit. I can push you down, as Paul says. I can make you submit. You got to listen. So it's going to be a week where I I would, I I want you to take time and begin to pray about what that fast could look like. Maybe for you, some of you guys might do a dramatic week-long liquid fast and you say, I really just want to build my spirit and deny my flesh and remind myself and my body what's important. Some of you guys have some media things that you need to cut. You didn't even realize it's an addiction, but all of a sudden you started noticing your screen time's going up and you're like, I gotta cut that out. I gotta cut that. I gotta cut that. And we'll talk more about it next week. But hopefully today, you felt encouraged and challenged that this is a week to really look at your life and maybe make some lists. What are some steps? What am I consuming daily? How do I consume more of the daily bread of Jesus? Because just like Paul said, thank God For Jesus Christ, our Lord, he's the answer. He's the answer. So all of this has got to lead me closer to him. Less of the evil I don't want to do and more of the good I ought to do. Amen, church? Amen. Let's take a moment. Let's pray with every head bowed, every eye closed. We need his help. He tells us to take the ill-fitting, heavy-laden, evil parts of our lives, that burden, and give it to him. And that we get to take his yoke upon him, which is easy and light. It's clear. It's peaceful. It's hopeful. If we want to produce good fruit in our lives, we need to start making some adjustments. I believe there's nobody here who's exempt from the need of an adjustment. Something that can shift. Starting now. Start. He doesn't need to wait till tomorrow. It can start right now. So Jesus, I lift up every person in this room under the sound of my voice, that has an adjustment that needs to be made. Holy Spirit, I pray it be a conviction from you that leads us to make that change that we would listen, that we would obey, that we would start making adjustments, not because of shame or condemnation, but because of the conviction, not just from, but for the life you have for us. So we can be sons and daughters. We can be made more into your image, look more like you. Help us to adjust our schedule. Help us to adjust our relationships. Help us to adjust how we treat our bodies. Help us to adjust our time with you. Thank you, Jesus. And everybody said, everybody said, amen. You can stand to your feet and I want to invite the prayer team.